0: Welcome to show number six of Where Are We Going? My name is Jason Weedle. Today we're talking about mental illness and Christianity. A couple years ago, I was leaving for church on a Sunday morning, actually visiting a church I hadn't been to before. And headed out down the road, I passed by... A house of someone I kind of knew and noticed there was something strange with a car, a dryer hose or something going into the back window and at first I just thought oh that's weird and, and kept going and then as I was heading down the road I thought there's only one reason that, that that would look that way because it was attached to the tailpipe and going into the back of the car and someone was trying to kill themselves and I turned around and went back and decided that even though I didn't know this person very well that it was my business and as I came up this person who I sort of knew was in the front conscious but I could tell they'd been crying and and having a bad time and I pulled open the door and I asked what was going on and I went and I I pulled the the hose out of the back of the car and I didn't know what to say I didn't really know what to do I just stood there with them probably for 30 or 45 minutes after that this person went inside I, I called some family members who came and they talked to them and got a little bit of help over the next week or so. This was someone who had always put on the image of someone who was, was strong, could take care of themselves, didn't really need anyone's help. But they were really struggling with depression and bipolar disorder and really, really having a hard time. Such a hard time that they wanted it all to end. And The only thing that enabled this person to get some help and to be able to see some healing from the issues they were going through was to have it exposed, to not be hiding behind the image of having it all together, of being strong and being in control. It seems that as Christians, it seems that the church often has no idea how to deal with issues of mental illness. We don't know what to do about it often other than tell a person to pray or to ask God for healing. And we don't know if we even should approach it differently than we approach something like cancer or a headache. Today, we're examining mental illness looking at what should be our response as Christians to the problems that people often very secretly face. What are the issues that go on in people around us and how should we be approaching them both as friends and neighbors and family members and as ministers and spiritual influencers.
1: My name is David Hosey, and uh, I'm the uh, Associate United Methodist Chaplain at American University, which is in Washington, D.C., and uh, also I'm a person uh, with a mental illness, so I have a a form of uh, what's called bipolar disorder, uh, type 2 bipolar, um, which is, uh, for me, kind of manifests itself in these uh, pretty extreme mood swings. and, uh, and very high anxiety and, um, you know, some what, what's kind of technically called suicidal ideation, um, you know, a, de- a desire either to kind of to hurt myself or, or to kill myself. Um, that, you know, and that's, that's something that I was diagnosed with in 2011, although I'd, I'd experienced the symptoms probably for about 10 years before that. Um, and uh, but in 2011 really started being kind of treated for it. And, and that, for me, I think in a sense I've been lucky uh, because that's been pretty pretty effective, which isn't necessarily the case for everyone who, who struggles with mental illness. Uh, sure. um, <clears throat> uh, and, uh, yeah, in my work with college students just found that uh, uh, after I had uh, this experience in 2011 with sort of this, this bad episode and this uh, this kind of breakdown um, and a series of hospitalizations, that when I came back from that and started working again with the students, uh, suddenly all these people were willing to talk about the, their mental health stuff because they knew I had kind of gone through, um, through this experience. And so the the need to have this conversation in our faith communities was suddenly something that was very kind of present for me and very very clear very obvious I guess. That. Are you seeing, um, are you
0: seeing that need be filled as time goes by? Do you think? I mean, this is I think an issue that has become um, more. Uh, known or or out in the open in society in general really only in the past few years and
1: so how are you seeing churches respond yeah you know one of the things that I sort of uh, dressed in in the talk that I gave a little while ago is is I think you know mental health is is really confusing. I mean it was confusing for me to go through it, right? Much less for my family or for my friends or for the church, right? And so it's it's difficult. It's difficult to know what to do. So one of the things that I talked a lot about in my in my my talk was um, how important it was for me that. Uh, my church um, and my family and my friends just kind of stuck with me through it and that helped really helped reduce isolation, um, uh, reduce the sense of being alone and that nobody would want to listen or that I'd be sort of like judged or kind of you know cast out of the community right because right. that, that's all stuff that mental illness, brings up in you, right, right, it's sort of, um, so I think a lot of churches are scared to talk about it, right, so there are churches that have really problematic theology when it comes to mental illness, that, you know, it's your fault, or it's the devil, or, you know, but beyond that, I think there are a lot of churches that just don't know what to do, right, they don't know, they're not sure how to respond, Um, we kind of know what to do if somebody gets sick physically, you know, we bring, like, I don't know, I'm a Methodist, so we bring casseroles or whatever, you know, like, we kind of know how to do that. Um, and so, I think what I would encourage is encourage folks who are in churches to think about is just talking about it, naming it publicly. Like whether that means in the pulpit or in Bible study or just in conversations in the church. Um, breaks that silence open and lets people know that they can be heard and that their experiences can be part of our experience yeah. together, you know?
0: I, I think often maybe we are afraid to say too much because we're afraid to embarrass anyone. Right. We're afraid to um, point something out that somebody doesn't want to talk about too much. But, but you think it is important for
1: that person to feel safe. Yeah. yeah, right. There's still so much, there's a lot of stigma and a lot of shame associated with mental illness, Right. Um, And so how do we come up with some ways um, to talk about that? And one thing, you know, earlier with Sarah Lund, who was my co-presenter, invited people into groups of three or four, and she just asked, how has this
2: thing, call it mental
1: illness or mental health or whatever, how has it impacted you, you know? And what she said, which I thought was just wonderful, she said, you know, maybe you, maybe right now, today, you want to be a listener, or maybe you really need to talk, you know, and so she gave some folks permission, right, like if I'm not ready to talk about this, and if I'm feeling ashamed about it, to force me into talking about it, right, wouldn't help be helpful, but other but man, people wanted to talk, you know I mean, people really wanted to talk about it and get it off their chest, so I think part of it is how do we, and I don't have a simple answer for this, but how do we create spaces where people feel comfortable and feel like they can be held and feel that they're safe uh, what would you say
0: to, be caught, to you Christians who have down, just or really kept, put, kept mental issues head. in this kind of category where There's we just kind of need to pray it, pray it away? Um, um, where it might be some kind Does of, of spiritual influence being enacted on you, or it happen. might just be, you know,
1: problems... Mm-hmm bad decisions that you made that have affected you Mm -hmm. and you just need to to pray it away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right, it's interesting, right? We don't talk about that about physical illness. I mean, maybe like the Christian scientists do, right? I guess there are some folks who do, right? But we don't say, like, oh, if you just pray, cancer will disappear. Um, As easily as we say, if you just pray, we still pray, but not quite the same way. So, on the one hand, we've ingested a lot of negative issues, negative... Theology, um, I don't mean apathetic theology, I mean like, you know, harmful theology um, when it comes to mental illness. On the other hand, right, um, spirituality is really important in the midst of mental illness, right? Exactly what mental illness attacks is your sense of meaning, your sense of self worth, your sense of identity. Who am I? Why should I exist? Yeah. Well, these are spiritual questions, right? These are exactly sure. the sort of questions that our spiritual traditions christian and otherwise try to answer and so you know i read this morning from psalm the beginning of psalm 102 which i think is this incredible description of what mental illness feels like i mean the psalmist is talking about feeling isolated and alone and feeling like his heart is withering or her heart Mm -hmm. is withering right so we have this language in the tradition this language of lament and this language of solidarity and this language of prayer um to god from a place of hurt and anger, it's all there, right? We've got that. We've got that. And the church has been bad at drawing on it, right? We like quick redemption. We like, uh, sure, you know, in the past I was a sinner, in the past, but now I found Jesus and everything is Too blessed to be stressed. Right, exactly, exactly. And if you have, you know, if you have, say, too blessed to be stressed is a great example. If you've got general anxiety disorder, you can be blessed all you want and you still feel... Overwhelmingly stressed, right? So to develop some language, not just around mental illness, but in general around lament and protest and hurt, um, which I think we can do, right? Like I, I feel like you know it's it's right at our fingertips. It's right on the tip of our tongues, uh, and we're just a little bit afraid or a yeah. little bit scared to do. It. What yeah. would you say is kind of the balance
0: between having some positive? Um, Community in the church, Mm -hmm. and having professional help, Mm -hmm. and even even having counseling in the church that that's not necessarily from someone who's a professional. Mm -hmm. Where where, where do those lines kind of fall?
1: Yeah, that's a yeah. It's a great question. I mean, I think that um, if we think about physical illness, right? We have a sense that like if I you know have something wrong with my body. Uh, I go to a doctor, but that doesn't mean the church isn't involved, right? I mean, I name that in prayer concerns. You know, like the pastor comes visit, or members of the church come visit me in the hospital. Um, you know, people pray for me, right? These these things. Um, so we kind of get that line uh, when it comes to physical illness, but it's a bit. It feels a bit harder to name when it comes to mental illness, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I think in general. Um, Learning. So I'm, I'm trained in what's called mental health first aid, which is this really helpful resource um, to be kind of a first responder in mental health crisis okay. and to learn a bit, like, when is someone really in severe crisis where they need something that's a bit more structured, a doctor or a counselor, and when is someone just kind of struggling a bit and needs a friend, right? But I think that you at, at least need the friend, right? You at least... You need sure. the community um, because one of the things that mental illness does is it isolates and it alienates. Yeah. And so um, as far as diagnosing or providing the medical care, that's professional. Um, but you can have a diagnosis and somebody can hand you medicines. And if you're all alone, uh, it's really hard. <laughs> so, yeah. It's going to be really, really tough. Um, you need the community. You need that support around you. You need sure. that presence. Yeah. So what
0: about, what about the individual who... Uh, is just not sure what they need um, Where would you say is the point for that individual
1: that they need to say
0: or how, do, how do they determine what they need?
1: Yeah um, it's a great question. I think it's a, maybe a little bit different for different people yeah. um, For me it was I mean for me, I went into a major crisis right where I just couldn't really lost the ability to function in a lot of ways. I mean, I could kind of pretend to be functioning, but I was just totally falling apart. And it wasn't a theological crisis, right? It wasn't that I uh, was doubting the doctrine that I'd been taught and that made me wonder. It was just this visceral, physical... Um, But, I mean, I I think one of the things that we need and the reason I kind of raised mental health first aid training is we need pastors and church members who are trained a bit to help people walk through that process of deciding, okay, like, what do I need? Do I need to see a doctor? I mean, does this feel like um, if it's, you know, an anxiety, does this feel like I'm feeling really anxious because I'm stressed about my job? Or does this feel like when I wake up in the morning I feel overwhelmed by this seemingly sourceless sense of dread? Right, it's just it's coming at me from nowhere. I mean, you know... Externally, when I went through this kind of breakthrough in 2011, I just finished a really successful year at seminary. I had friends. I, you know, there wasn't. It wasn't as if I could say, "Well, I lost my job and I'm feeling really depressed." It was like, I have no idea where this is coming mm-hmm. from. Right, this sense of sort of like it coming out of nowhere. Um, but yet, it
0: still things still can be caused by problem
1: issues in life. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right. I mean, that and that's one of the tricky things, right? Like very concrete. Losing your job, for example, yeah. can totally trigger uh, just overwhelming d- depression, or it could trigger it could trigger a clinical depression that exists, or it could cl- trigger a tr- depression that, like, m- maybe there's not really a chemical imbalance going on, but it's still very real, right? right. I mean, the, the the chemical imbalance is almost a it, the way you feel about it is, is sort of a side issue. Sure, right? you know, I, yeah. I
0: think of, of years ago reading a book. It was actually a novel, but it. Talked a lot about people with with mental issues and just a variety and a big spectrum and and going through so many issues and I, I got to thinking
1: we all have something right going on yeah um, but yet we're
0: all not at the point where we're unable to function yeah honestly we're probably all not as healthy as we should be right um, but I guess it's when we get to that point that. Something needs attention. Yeah,
1: um, because we are unable to function. Yeah, yeah, and again, we I think with physical health we kind of get it, right? So we all have health, right? Everybody has health. Everybody has mental health. Everybody has physical health. Um, A lot of us aren't as healthy as we should be, right? We we probably I probably ought to eat a bit better. I should exercise more, right? All sorts of stuff. But, like, we know, like, when someone gets cancer, that's a different thing, you know? Um, If somebody has diabetes, that's this very specific physical ailment um, that we kind of say, okay, that's not just a matter of, like, good health and bad health. That's a a condition that's sort of like out of that person's control. And so I think we all have mental health, right? We all go through periods of depression. Maybe we have periods of mania. We all have periods of high anxiety. That's real. I mean, that's there's nothing kind of false or fake about that. And then there's a clinical thing that comes in at some point where... There's just something in my brain that's a little, you know, like one little tick to yeah. the left or something that just makes this very severe kind of breakdown thing kind of a possibility. I think the other life. thing
0: that that's very hard, I think there is a fear attached to it as well from mm-hmm. the outside, mm-hmm. saying, um, you know, I don't know if I want that person in charge. I don't know if I want that person dealing, you know, around children. Right. Right. Uh, so, What would you say to, to
1: that that kind of fear? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I two things. I mean, I, you know, I think that on the one hand, I want to sort of, like, validate, you know, it's scary. It was scary for me going through it. So I totally understand that people are scared of it from the outside, because it seems very unpredictable and very um, uh, dangerous in a way. Um, I think there's a lot of misinformation, though. I mean, for example, like... Uh, you know, folks with mental illness in this country are way, 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 way more likely to be victims of violence than perpetrators of violence, just statistically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there's a lot of fear and of, And that's like, true information, not misinformation. Right, yeah. So Sorry, yeah, that's that's true, right? So the misinformation is kind of, people with mental illness are dangerous people. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's by and large not true. And there are all sorts of dangerous people who maybe don't have mental illness, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, and I... So I think that part of it is getting to know people with mental illness and hearing their stories and trusting them a bit to say, here's what I can safely take on, right? Um, in the midst of my breakdown, uh, in the midst of kind of the worst of my crisis, I shouldn't be in charge of something, right? Um, but so part of it is, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a, a campus minister, I'm a pastor, and so Part of it is that our systems tend to have this very binary, like either you're capable to be in leadership or you're not. Right. Instead of sometimes people need to step back. You know, We need to provide space for people to step back if they're going through a really hard time. And sometimes those same people can step forward. right? Um, and again, with phys- physical illness, we kind of get that. right? Someone can be very, very capable and get really sick. Yeah. And we say, okay, maybe you need to take a break. <laughs> you know, but with mental illness, it's like, oh, if you have uh, an illness, you just can't. And in many ways, it's a mystery for a lot of us. Too.
0: For years, certain types of counseling have been an essential part of the church culture, mostly those that deal with relationships, family, marriage counseling. I talked with therapist Keisha Parker, who... Deals with family therapy and with the church. I talked with her about some of these issues. The audio quality of this segment is not good, but hopefully you'll be able to understand some important insights from Kesha about mental health. What? What? I, I was just talking with with uh, someone I know quite well, not long ago, about some of these issues, and and this person was saying that they they really felt like they had um, had difficulties and problems because of being in a church where um, where m- mental health was not really recognized as something that was maybe even real or right. it was just spiritualized and so they've had difficulty over their life um, you know what what would you say to that person or or how, how, do you, how do you help that person who has difficulty coming out of a spiritual background or religious background that doesn't really recognize it?
3: Excuse me. First off, I would start off by saying me too, yeah. um, which is one of the reasons why I went into uh, the field myself because I just felt like there was this huge gap uh, between the fields of psychology and theology in the environment that I was in. Um, So as far as faith and church was concerned, there was a gap between faith and church and then the field of psychology, and I felt like uh, both constructs, both studies, if you will, could benefit from one another, and and both types of professionals on both ends could benefit from helping one another and kind of marrying the two fields together Mm. to help bring about change and transformation and, and wholeness within people's lives, and so... I aim to step within that gap, and I think I've, I've done a good job of doing so. Um, so I would I would encourage that person in that regard, um, but also help him or her to understand that it's a lot of us out here who are currently still unpacking stuff sure. because of what we've gone through in the church and not having the proper response or no response at all. Um, for some of us so as far as seeking out professional mental health um, mental health counseling and therapy and that sort of thing I would definitely encourage them in that area I have a therapist um, and as far as long as I continue to do what I do as long as I continue to be a therapist I will always have a therapist yeah. um, because I need somebody to walk alongside me and just check in and make sure I'm okay sure up
0: helping others. so you know I think that's really interesting what you say about kind of kind of uh, marrying or put the, putting the two together that we need both the the spiritual input from our church and it can be supported by the the mental health support, but those two can sort of serve each other and work together to serve the person. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think that's really interesting and maybe maybe kind of a part of this that we kind of that we neglect. Um, that idea that both need to work together. Uh, how do you see? How do you see those things working together?
3: A lot better now than uh, before. Uh, when did I start this process? I went to my first orientation in two thousand and five, and so here we are, uh, September fifth, two thousand and five. So here we are, ten years out, hmm. and I definitely see uh, the two fields working together a lot more. Uh, Catholic churches are behind the curve in that regard. I think there are a lot of pastors within those uh, churches and congregations that are still trying to do things that they are not licensed to do. And oftentimes, if not all times, uh, that, that tends to be a disservice to both the counselee and, and the pastor as well. So, my recommendation would be let them come to your office times, If you guys can't get through whatever the issue is or whatever, you know, after the third time, then refer them out and keep a list of professional counselors that you have relationships with. Make, Build those relationships so that you can have a list of those people on hand and be able to refer out immediately and not have to go through digging through names or asking questions to other people to help you find somebody or find resources or whatever. They need to be readily available so that you don't have to take on that task. So. I think that would be helpful. Um, again, I think African American
1: churches or leaders, a lot of them are behind the curve in that regard, especially with some of the older pastors
3: who may be in their 70s, 80s, maybe even 60s, who still operate from a different, from an earlier stage of consciousness uh, than some of us younger pastors. Um, and so they may not readily, you know, adopt or, or, or even, um, be keen to what's available to them as far as mental health resources are concerned, and so there's a trust factor that's there as well. It's like if you don't just fast and pray and whatever, and that should be, you know, the answer to all. And if that doesn't work, then you need to do it again. And if that doesn't work, then you have a demon, you know, that sort of thing. So I don't. I think some of them are still behind, but I I see the progress. I see it coming this way, and so I am um, optimistic in that regard.
0: Yeah. So so. What, what would you say to the person, whether it's a pastor or just a, a Christian who is suspicious of mental health professionals or just kind of the, the, the world of counseling and mental health and, and feels like they're, I think sometimes maybe there's a feeling like they're betraying um, their tradition. And or, or maybe not trusting God enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what would you share with that person? I've had some uh,
3: clients that have come in that, that had that um, going on, those thoughts where they felt like they were betraying their pastor, betraying their church by coming to counseling, and it was really difficult um, to help them with their actual issue, with the actual need and what they came to treatment for because we had to start there start unpacking their guilt, inappropriate guilt, for seeking out help, professional help for themselves. And so, from a person who sits in that position, I would say, take the risk. If it gets so bad to the point where all your other resources around you, um, including the church, is not helping you get to where you're trying to get to, I would take the risk. It's risking everything that we do. So, And if it doesn't work, or you don't like the counselor, or it doesn't like there are others out there, or you can always stop you know, stop treatment. You don't have to go back yeah. at any point in time. You're not locked in at all. Yeah.
0: You know, I I um probably in the in the world that I grew up in, there were more counselors that helped people within the church. Um, most of those were people who had gone to some amount of training, but they weren't really professionals. Um and, and that that kind of person or type of counselor has come under a fair amount of criticism in recent years from mm-hmm. people outside the church uh, do you think there is a place for that that person? Um,
3: yes there are what are called pastoral counselors and I'm not sure exactly what all of their training is but I do know that they do have training and some of them are actual licensed uh, therapists but they have training in pastoral counseling as well. So, the benefit that we have now is that we have the internet, and you can Google just about anything. So you can look up a pastoral counselor. Also, there's Psychology Today. You can look up counselors on that particular website, find out their background, find out, you know, they may have their faith tradition listed or what have you, or the things that they specialize in, the different areas and that sort of thing. So, and there's pictures, you know, available of everybody. So, most of the therapists... So sometimes that helps as well. You can also call the therapist's office and just ask questions about who they are and what they do for a living and how they can help you and that sort of thing. I wouldn't expect her personal questions to be answered about their life and that sort of thing. As far as their profession is concerned, where they went to school at, when they were licensed, um, you might even want to list a little bit about what you're going through and see if they have any experience with that. Um, All of those are very... uh, and I think that could be helpful to somebody who's a little bit there in the process.
0: Yeah. I'm here with Sarah Lund. Thank you, Sarah, for joining me.
2: Jason, thank you. It's, it's great to spend some time with you talking about something that I'm really passionate about, mental health. Wonderful. And yeah. uh, how we talk about mental health in the Christian community.
0: Could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do?
2: First, I'm a child of God and uh, blessed to be the mother of a kindergartner and the wife uh, of nine years to Jonathan. And uh, right now, I am serving on the staff at Christian Theological Seminary in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I uh, started here at CTS last year, uh, right as my book was being published, Blessed are the Crazy, Breaking the Silence about Mental Illness, Family and Church. And that book came about through a joint project with um, Chalice Press and uh, the Young Clergy Women Project, which is uh, a group I'm really excited about. It's an international community for young women up through age 40, and we provide support and encouragement. And Chalice is also. Encourage the voices of young clergy women to be lifted up, so they have um, a unique partnership to help get uh, young women clergy uh, published. And so that was the invitation I had, and it's how I ended up writing my book.
0: Mm. Your book is um, "Blessed Are the Crazy." It's really kind of your story and looking at uh, issues of mental illness of your family, your church experience, can you say a little bit about the book and why it was important for you to tell that story?
2: Yes, um first, I want to talk about the title uh the title was uh, thought of after the book was written, and it really stems from my um my love of Jesus's teachings uh that we see in the gospels. Uh, we call them his Sermon on the, the Mount um or the Beatitudes Jesus. Reminds us of who is included in God's kingdom, and he talks about the people who are often overlooked, the people who are on the margins, yeah. the poor in spirit, uh, the meek, um, those who are persecuted. Blessed, you know, are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted. So I, uh, you know, kind of um, evoking that uh, radical way of Jesus. Uh, call upon um, his spirit to bless people who live with um, mental illness and so for me growing up um, that was my father who um, in the 80s and 90s really had uh, psychotic episodes that were not diagnosed and there was no treatment and so for me as a little girl um In that type of family situation, it felt very chaotic and very crazy. And so I use the word crazy very um, much as an autobiographical word that uh, describes how it felt to be in that chaotic environment. And I kind of, you know, did a quick survey, and the word crazy pops up all the time in popular culture and in, you know, everyday conversation. So, like, take the next 24 hours and note how many times You see the word crazy in social media or even spoken by yourself or your friends, and it's everywhere. So um, to me, that's representative of um, the fact that mental illness is is actually everywhere, too. If you look at the research, one in five, so 20% of us in a given year will have a diagnosis of a mental illness. And in your lifetime, uh, 50% of the population will have a mental illness. So just like we throw around the word crazy all the time, it's, um, you know, really something deeper is going on with um, the mental illness that impacts all of us. So blessed are the crazy is a way for me to reclaim that word and reclaim my own family's experience of so much suffering. Um, We did a lot of our suffering in silence because we were ashamed and uh, the stigma around mental illness. For me and my family, uh, the mental illness was so disabling, it caused my father to lose his career and to lose uh, our family. My mother uh, divorced him, and eventually he was homeless. Uh, And so uh, these things, you know, homelessness, um, we often see a lot of people who live on the streets really have an untreated and undiagnosed uh, mental illness. Uh, Part of my story also includes um, my cousin who um, had several mental illnesses that were not treated properly, and at the age of 20, he um, committed a murder during a psychotic break, and he was sentenced to death in the state of Missouri, so after 10 years on death row at the age of 30, he was executed. And the other uh, tragedy in our country is that um, the place where people um, most often get medication for mental illness is actually in our jails and prisons. So instead of um, truly, like, rehabilitating people who have a mental illness, they end up in jail or prison or on death row. So um, my father, uh, my cousin, and uh, my oldest brother, Scott, he uh, had a psychotic episode in high school and um, has continued to live with severe mental illness and is on full disability because his uh, bipolar has been um, really resistant to treatment and he especially struggles with thoughts of um, suicide, so really intrusive thinking, so uh, that about 20 times an hour he'll think about uh, killing himself. And um, it's really, uh, he's lost his job and his marriage, and he continues to work on his recovery. So, um, you know, as a Christian and as a Christian minister uh, with my father's illness and my brother's and my cousin, um, instead of talking about these things and getting support, I kept them all secret um, because I was embarrassed that my dad was homeless or that my brother was in the psychiatric hospital, or that my cousin was on death row. And it was through my silence that I really um, was so uh, harmed by that, you know, because I wouldn't let anyone in to these things. And you can kind of use the metaphor of a closet. And so for me, breaking the silence, sharing my story in my book, and coming out of the closet, is a way um, to open up this conversation that's been longing to be born, especially among uh, Christians who um, haven't felt, uh, you know, really the permission to talk about how mental illness is a reality. So for so many of us in the church, um, when I yeah. talk to Christian communities, there's a sense that because we're saved, because we know Jesus, um, that somehow. Um, It's a betrayal to be depressed or to be anxious or to be fearful. Um, There's a sense that if we're um, loved by God and and know Jesus, then our hearts should be joyful and pure and clean, and there should be no um, trace of impurity or uncleanliness or sin. Uh, So there's been a lot of confusion, people thinking that mental illness is a punishment from God, or that mental illness is demon possession. So we've got to really talk about our theology and understand that uh, mental illness is related to our brain, and it's a biological illness, a biochemical, that you can be a Christian and have a relationship with Jesus and also have a diagnosis of depression and the need uh, medication to help your brain chemistry and also need, you know, talk therapy, um, with a therapist and go to church, you know, and pray and read the Bible. Right. So LifeWave did a research, um, poll in 2013 and it was, I was surprised. They said, you know, almost half of young evangelicals, uh, believe that Bible study and prayer by themselves can cure mental illness. So that's just really uh, a myth. And so part of what I've been doing with my book is educating churches and uh, pastors, helping the conversation happen. The Mm -hmm. the other thing the research showed was that less than 6% of pastors were preaching or talking about mental illness in their Sunday morning service. So you know how in church we lift up people in prayer. We pray for um, you know, Margaret, who's going through chemotherapy, for John, who's recovering from a heart attack. You know How often do we hear um, we're praying for Nancy and her depression, you know, or for somebody's nephew who's attempted suicide? Uh, you know, how often does the preacher preach in the pulpit about mental illness and mental health? You know, less than 6%. And so that's part of the the stigma and shame is that we're not even talking about it. And and so that's the silence that uh, we're breaking right now.
0: I think it's very interesting when you talked about your own experience and kind of keeping so much of it secret. Um, it seems that so often when we talk and think about mental illness that we almost have the idea that it's something that an individual needs to deal with personally. Um, that if I struggle with depression or if I struggle with thoughts of suicide, it's almost something that I need to work on and deal with. But when you mention the people in your life and keeping it a secret, it seems that maybe that's a problem with all of us, that there is this idea that we sort of have to keep those things secret and not talk about it too much. And it seems that that research that you mentioned even validates some of that. Do you think that that's
2: yeah, part of our issue? I think so, Jason. And as we look at, you know, maybe what is the um, the thinking around that that needs to change? And part of it in my conversations with my brother, um, who's also in a recovery um, in his own life, uh, we talk, he talks about the sense that we still see mental illness as a personal failure. You know, we still think of it as a character flaw. There's this yeah. sense that, you know, if only I worked harder, you know, if only I prayed harder or tried harder, that there's something wrong with me inherently as a person and that's why I'm having all these negative thoughts or that's why I can't get out of bed. Um, when really perhaps some of that is caused by a brain, um, you know, chemical imbalance. It's like, um, you know, somebody, especially when we look at the possibility that some of this is hereditary, and in bipolar disorder we see that um, it's highly hereditary, that if one has a father, a sibling, or a parent who is bipolar there's um, a high likelihood that other relatives will also have uh, that high risk factor. And so what if we really started talking it like uh, we do diabetes or heart disease, that these are, you know, kind of genetic risk factors. Uh, You can't help that you were born into um, the genetics that you were born into. So it's not related to our character or, um, you know, our values, but it's physical illness.
0: Yeah. What are some other things that we need to understand as Christians and as the church in the way that we talk about mental illness?
2: Um, I will um, just kind of read to you um, an excerpt from my book, which I think summarizes the heart of um, what the church's role can be in this uh, conversation. Uh, Mental illness cannot be wished or prayed away. The stigma and shame about mental illness only increases its destructive power. Hiding in our closets, we're swallowed up in its shadows. It is my confession that by exposing mental illness to the healing light of God through our testimony, through carrying one another's burdens, through therapeutic circles of care, we can find hope and strength. It is my hope that the church can be a community of truth-tellers, decreasing stigma as we create safe, welcoming spaces for people and their families with mental illness. It's my testimony that the God of love is with us even when there's crazy in the blood. It's my gospel truth that blessed, not cursed, are the crazy, for we will be called children of God. So it's getting that narrative out there. Um, you're kind of normalizing that this is a part of all of our lives. I mean, uh, when I ask people to stand up or raise their hand if they or a loved one has a mental illness, you know, 80% of the room will, will respond. So part of the, the real opportunity for the church is to uh, name this as a real need in our communities, and it can be a, a core part of our mission as we look at uh, the gospel and the testimony that we have to share about the healing and transformative love um, that we find in Jesus Christ when we um, share that love with our neighbors and with people who uh, are suffering.
0: Yeah. Yeah do Do you think that sometimes when we when it's not exposed, that we are magnifying the problem by kind of keeping the secret like we talked about?
2: Yeah, I would say by um keeping the secret um, then what happens if people are not talking about their everyday experiences, you know along the spectrum of mental health, um then what happens is when there's a news story, you know when Uh, something makes the headlines, um, like the mass shootings. And mental illness is associated with uh, mass shooters as perhaps the trigger or the cause of the event. Then we talk about mental illness. And so the problem is that we only talk about it in relations to this very extreme scenario, uh, when the reality is it's it's part of our everyday kind of normal day-to-day, um, you know, on that spectrum of anxiety, mood disorders, eating disorders, sleep disorders, you know, uh, that are, it's really so common. And that these episodes of extreme violence get a lot of media attention and they get a lot of airtime, but it doesn't reflect um, the reality of the more common um forms of mental illness that everyday people experience. And so another myth to uh, really uh, debunk is the sense that, you know, people who have mental illness are violent criminals, you know, or uh, more likely to um, be violent. And the research has showed that that's not true. In fact, something more alarming is true that people who have a mental illness are much more likely to be a victim of violence, either um, by others or self-inflicted violence, that um, it's not, not as common that the violence would be turned outward.
0: Yeah. I I think of a, a book that I read years ago, and it was a novel, but it was addressing... Um, mental illness and a lot of it took place in a mental hospital so it delved into a lot of these issues that people are dealing with and through reading this I got to think boy, every one of us has issues
2: <laughs> and,
0: and even if they're not severe you know all of us have things in our mind that, that control us in some ways and are unhealthy and um it, it just seems that as Americans, as um, especially within a certain certain kind of brands of Christianity, we have this kind of do-it-yourself attitude that I can overcome, and all I need to do is work harder and think harder and you know, set my mind to it and I can overcome. But not realistic, probably.
2: That's right. Um, you, know, you talked about just the spectrum. Um, I, it, I'm really we're uh, kind of rethinking um, my whole idea of self care. You know, and and how do I stay healthy? You know, we we place a lot of emphasis on physical health. You know, making sure you eat healthy and exercise. And I think sure. what we need to add to that is our mental health. You know, how do you stay mentally healthy? And because our brain is a physical part of our body. Um, research also shows that how exercise enhances our brain health. Um, so I'm, you know, just personally, um, really going to start paying more attention to keeping my brain healthy. Um, I myself have had different experiences of mental unwellness or mental illness. Um, nothing that's um, needed treatment um, but some milder cases like when i had my son i had a few weeks of the postpartum and it wasn't so much depression but i felt very anxious and i was a little um, kind of paranoid of of my son's safety Um, and so I, i isolated myself in my home and so looking back i can see that that was the time i was very vulnerable Um, but that's something we don't talk about either, you know, for new mothers, um, that period after childbirth and how fragile, uh, that time is for mental health. That's another, you know, area of stigma and shame because in our culture we really glorify motherhood and we think, oh, you know, a woman who's just had a baby is the happiest day ever. And that really doesn't allow room for these more honest conversations about some of the real challenges. That new mothers face, you know, as their bodies are are changing and the hormones and the the new um, uh, role that they have to take care of a baby. You
0: know, I I also think of of different people that I've known um, who I know have struggled with certain feelings and issues, but I know they've kind of struggled secretly because of this feeling within Christianity that we need to deal with ourselves or that we can just work on it with God. And if we spend more time praying, if we spend more time working on our own spirituality, then we can overcome. What what are some solutions, do you think, or maybe not solutions, but What kind of route or trajectory or attitude do we as Christians, as church leaders, as the church, need to take as we're approaching mental issues?
2: That's a great question, and I think I'll go with the attitude. I was at a NAMI conference in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and it was for clergy and churches. And NAMI is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And they have a great website. It's www.nami.org. They're the largest grassroots organization to provide education and support. They have family-to-family support groups, you know, consumer support groups, peer-to-peer. Check out the website. So they had a conference. And one of the um, key speakers was a psychiatrist who has done a lot of brain research. And what he said to this room full of Christians um, was that, um, think about glasses and how so many people wear glasses to see. You know, if you have visual impairment, um, would anyone ever say to you, take off your glasses and put them away? You don't need those to see. Just pray about it. Uh, what would that feel like for you to be told that your uh, vision impairment was the result of your father's sin? You know that seems ridiculous. And so with mental illness, um, people who have depression, anxiety, eating disorders, um, it's it's just like uh, having um, you know vision impairments. Or if someone has broken his or her arm. If someone is in a motorcycle wreck and breaks their arm, we would never think to send them home and have them pray or read the Bible. We'd send them to the hospital to get a cast. You know, so people um, using the insights um, that God has given us in science to figure out ways that we can heal ourselves working with uh, mental health professionals. So that, you know, all ties to the stigma that we still see around mental illness. It's no different than people who have to wear glasses or people who have a broken arm and need a cast, people who have heart disease and need to have heart surgery. Uh, You know, with somebody who's recovering from chemo or heart surgery, a lot of churches will have them on their prayer list. They'll uh, make food, you know, casseroles. But with mental illness, um, it's the non-casserole disease, right? I mean, we don't have
3: sure. chains.
2: We don't have a real good way uh, to take care for people.
0: I I had the thought as you were talking that perhaps one of the reasons that we are hesitant to put mental illness into the same kind of categories as other issues is can we then feel like there is not hope of healing or or of of just a, a healthy well-being um because when we talk about glasses when we talk about the condition of our our vision Glasses will repair that, but it's not going to let me live. I always have to wear glasses. Um, and if we say, if I admit that depression is just a condition of my brain, maybe that is saying I have to always live with this forever. Is, is there hope? Should we be, how do we present to, to people that there is, hope or what is the hope you
2: No, know, that's um, a great question and um, I think you hit on at the heart of the whole matter is hope and for us especially as Christians that message of hope is critical and it's really life-saving the other um, reality is that for severe mental illness like schizophrenia and bipolar we don't talk in the terms of a cure you know these are chronic uh, diseases. Whereas you mentioned, you know, depression. You know, I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, um, so I can't really speak to um, the nuances of of that in medical terms. Um, but we do speak in the term in terms of recovery, and that right. there will be periods um, where um, you know health is restored, um, but also the the likelihood um, that there could be another episode. So um, maybe that's just kind of coming to terms with some of the realities and the need for more research uh, around our brains and and how to uh, prevent uh, certain kinds of extreme mental illness that might be triggered by um, traumatic events. So for me, the hope comes in breaking the silence because it means we can find each other. You know, if 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 you, uh, like, say I have um, depression, but I'm hiding it, and people are really good at hiding things, um, if I can find another person who I can share that with, um, that helps us in our recovery because then we can have that sense of community and companionship that we're not alone, uh, because alone uh, just leads to more despair. It leads to isolation, and that makes the mental illness worse.
0: Yeah, and perhaps does does a lot of this go back to the theme and the title of your book, "Blessed Are the Crazy," and the idea like, that you mentioned with the beatitudes that that God is there with those who are suffering and those who are weak and those who are, you know, when, when we try to put on the image of the strong, then perhaps it says we don't need need God as much.
2: Oh, that's right. That's exactly right. Um, you know, in, in our weakness, you know, we experience um, the, the love of God um, in those broken uh, places
0: Mental health is an issue that's difficult for us both as a society and as a church. I hope that through the conversations today you are challenged to examine the issue a little bit differently and we're able as people and as Christians to approach those who are suffering from mental illnesses with more compassion and help to lead people to more health. If you'd like to find out more about the guests of today's show, please look at the show notes. Please take a couple minutes to rate the show on iTunes and check out some of the other programs on the Media Scorch Network. I'm Jason Wiedel. Thanks for listening.